All right, y'all. Hey, if you would, we're going to pray in just a minute. But if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. Man, welcome. Just as Cole shared, we are so glad you're here. Whether you're here because you love Jesus Christ, you follow Jesus Christ, you want to grow in a faithful pursuit of Jesus Christ, or if man like church for you, it's on the back burner, you don't like God, you think you've got problems with God, there's all these issues with God, and people who love God are weird and hypocritical and judgmental, we get it, we're super glad you're here. But one of the things we'll always start with doing is praying. So if you have a faith, right, join me in just talking with God. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the, the gift that it is to come and to stir ourselves up by way of reminder to be more like you. You're the only one who can really do that. You are the one that takes us from one degree of glory to the next. So God, would you come and move degrees? God, would you come and change hearts? Would you bring people to life? Would you change souls in a way that only you can? If you would, guys, just in, in your chair, if you would take 10 seconds and just pray that God would use this time to strengthen and to help you. If y'all would, please take another 10 seconds. Pray for me. Pray that I would be helpful and that I would be useful to the master. Lord, we love you. We give you this time. We ask for your help in it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, y'all. It's Cole Shared too. Happy New Year's, man. Man, hey, 2020, I am super excited, super pumped. Here's part of the reason why. I love New Year's time. Here's the reason. One, we just had Christmas and I'm still basking in the glow of Christmas. I love it. I start my countdown like 360 something or right now we're a little short of like 350. I'm counting down to Christmas again. The second reason is I honestly love the whole New Year's resolution, new year, new you, new year, new changes, new year. I will finally stop eating bread for like a week, right? I really, though, I love all of that. I, I love resolutions and thinking about it. And I get every time you talk about resolutions, right? Like we, we all were jaded people. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, you didn't know this. What happens is gym memberships in January, they go up. You know when gyms are empty? February. And like people who actually go to a gym like hate the gym in January and then they wait for people like me to leave. Yeah, maybe I've bought and then canceled multiple gym memberships over my lifetime. But still, I love New Year's, New Year, New You. I was at this prayer meeting this past week with a group of guys and we we're talking about it. And one of them asked, hey, do you have any resolutions? Or you got any new plans or any new hopes or anything like that? And we're going around the room, and I, I, just for time, I ended up not being asked, but I can remember they were going around, and here's the general vibe. No, no, I don't, I don't really do resolutions. I don't really have them, right? And the one guy's like, no, no, I'm just going to continue faithfully pursuing God, which is great. I hope people do that, right? It's wonderful. And then one guy came, and it was like, well, hey, if God, if God gives me something he really wants me to do, then of course that I will, right? But I, I don't generally, I'm not a resolution type of guy. Right, and it came to me, and the whole time I'm like, I'm totally the resolution type of guy, right? Now, the question never came to me. 
But here, here's the reason why I love resolutions. I can constantly come and in wonderful ways do two things. Reflect back on the amazing things God has done in my life to help me become more like him. As well as realize I have a lot of change still to go. That's the thing, like when I think about resolutions and like new year, new you, that whole thing, I'm amazed by two things in my life. I'm amazed by the first part, how much I have changed. Like in, in sincerity and humility, maybe it's a humble brag, but honestly, when I look back since becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, I am amazed by how he has significantly transformed my life. Like the fearful, crippling insecurity the enslaved addiction to pornography, the terrible relationship with drinking where just lost in a bottle, like the desire to find validation through performance, through job, through money, through status, through how quick could I get to? What quality of job could I have? I don't want to evaluate my value just by how much I make. I'm going to evaluate my value by how many hours I work and how quick I can beat the average tenure to get to the next promotion. By the grace of God, and hey, I still got room to go. He has changed me. I'm not the same. The fears, the worries, the codependency, he has helped me change. I'm amazed by that. The second thing that I'm amazed by, the second thing, is other areas of my life where honestly, how little I have changed like how little things have changed in me. Worry, right? Worry, I, I still sincerely like, it's not even like a false thing. Like I worry far more often than what I should, right? The insecurity part of me, how I'll confuse courage and strength with, no, nah, man, you're just being loud and in somebody's face. Temper, anger, like I got a daughter, she's three get a lot of chance to practice having a short fuse or a long fuse. My wife, who I love, who I've lived with for quite some time, coming and saying, hey, how do I point her to Christ yet? Be far more tender than what I am. Like my wife, who has this fear that when she comes, she knows that all reasonable people, you gotta be willing to talk through things. But no wife should come to a husband feeling like she has to lawyer up. I'm amazed by two things, how much I've changed and also how little I've changed. That's why when I think about New Year, New You, New Year's resolutions, here's what's true. I want to change. Like, and here's what's also true. God wants me to change. The reason I'm so excited about this idea, about this topic it's because today we're going to talk about how to change. Today we're going to talk about how you and I, like if you're here and you believe in Jesus, here's something that's true. We are called to change. It's not really an optional thing, and that doesn't mean you have to do it at New Year's, right? That does not mean you have to do it with kind of a natural rhythm of, of American culture and what you'll see on radio and, and all those things. It doesn't mean you have to do it then, but like the idea that a follower of Jesus Christ is not meant for constant, what the Bible is going to call transformation. 
It's unbiblical. It's this, it's this anthem. We are meant for more. And the reason I'm so excited to talk about how we are called to change, it's because we're going to do it in a new series we're kicking off over the next few weeks. This series, I wrestled with, like, what would you call it? What do you name it? What does it look like? All this kind of stuff. And, and I'm very creative, very gifted at marketing. So I'm just going to call it, you can change. Right? Seriously, it just says in the title. If you don't get sarcasm, that's what that was before. We're so glad you're here. Right? But we're going to call this series, you can change. Now, here's why we're going to call it this. Because so many times in my life and in lives when I meet with people, there's this thought of, no, I just am. I'm stuck. I've always wrestled with this. Or here's my favorite. No, no, you don't get it. That's just the way they are. It's just better to go on accepting and acknowledging it. Spouses, if you do that with your spouse, it's cruel and unbiblical. You can change. But for so many of us, man, and you pick the easiest new, one, new Year's resolution, right? Weight loss or diet or anything like that. Because we failed so many times at change, we like stop trying. What I'm so excited for this series is we're going to look at biblically, how do you bring about transformation in your life by the power of God within you? And the transformation, I, I really do believe this process, man, it's going to help you with uh, weight loss. It's going to help you with going to bed on time. It's going to help you with better study habits. It's going to help you with improving the marriage. But what I'm talking about is change that's glorious, change that's worth something eternally, things that like change the soul. Today, we're going to talk about how you and I, if you're here and you believe, we are called to change. We're going to do it as we start this series looking at you can change. I'm so excited to even where we're doing this. If you missed us last week, my friend Robert Boyd, he came and he taught on, man, one of the things God wants you to do is look back and reflect on life. If you missed the talk, you got to go back and see it. You reflect on life, amazing practical applications. Just look back and then build these altars of remembrances, these stones in your life that celebrate all that he has done. There's no holiness in constantly looking at yourself as a perpetual failure. Because biblically, it's not true. Christ resides within you. He brings change in you. You celebrate that. And then from the celebration, there's this anthem in the soul of a follower of Jesus. Less of me, more of him one degree of glory to another. That's why today we're going to start our new series, You Can Change, by talking about how we are called to change. We're going to do this by looking at one of my favorite verses. It's going to come out of a section, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, you can start turning there. You can pull it up on your phone. It's going to be out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18, mostly for context. But really, we're going to highlight verse 18, and we're going to pull out some of the practical parts. Here's the goal for today. The goal for today is to gain this high view of what is God's call to change, to transformation, to glory. What's the high view? And then in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about biblically, how do you break that down? 
we're going to see that change, it comes in three ways. Change comes from knowing Christ, beholding Christ, and depending on Christ. So while you guys turn to 2 Corinthians, I want to give you guys just a little bit of context for what's happening right here. This is a letter where the Apostle Paul, this, this big-time faithful church leader, great man of God, he wrote this letter to a church in Corinth. He's written multiple letters to him. This one, he's writing them, and he's defending his spiritual leadership. He's defending why they should entrust their spiritual care to him. Chapter 3, in the midst of this defense, he's giving an overview for what some today would call a philosophy of ministry. How? Why? When do you make disciples? How? Why? What does it look like to advance the kingdom of God? It's amazing, the start of the chapter, because these guys have been uh, coming against him. He starts it out by saying, hey, the way that you assess faithfulness and success for any follower of Christ, he starts it out, is life change. Life change. And then he's going to say, where does life change come from? And he's going to contrast the old covenant with a new covenant. The law and grace, the reality of this, that you can have a relationship with God. And he does not demand you change in order to get it. You just believe that you're in need of it, that you are a sinner in need of a savior. And he paid the penalty for my foolishness and yours on a cross. And you just believe this new covenant, he's going to contrast it. And then we're going to read this section where it's going to give context of old and new as it drills down towards, okay, if we evaluate success by life change, where does life change come from? So if you have a Bible, turn with me or you can read along. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read all the way verses 12 through 18, but we're, we're going to camp in 18. Since we have such a hope, that, that hope is new covenant versus old covenant. Since we have such a hope, we are what? Very bold. I wish we had time to preach all of this. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. This veil, we'll talk about this. It's a demonstration of faith. This veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Why do we want change? We want freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Right? So as we break that down, and then we're going to focus on that last verse, what are we talking through? We're talking through how you and I, we are called to change. The first part of this last verse that we're going to break down is the, is the beginning section where it says where change comes from. Change comes from knowing Christ. Now, stay with me. If, like, you grew up in church and you're like, oh, yeah, checkbox. One, that shows there's a problem with your heart. But two, there's more to it than that. I love how it starts with coming to know Christ. He sets it up, and we all, with unveiled face, in order to stand what he means by Moses in the veil, we have to look back in the Old Testament. You have to see what he's referencing. You don't have to turn here, but Exodus 34, 
verses 34 through 35, talks about what, what he's pulling from, what illustration that Paul is reaching to show the Corinthians, you can trust me. He says, whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. It's this picture in the Old Testament. Here's what would happen. Moses would go into this place, this, this tent called the Holy of Holies, and it was there he would meet with God, and he would see God face to face. No veil, nothing to obstruct between Moses and God. Intimacy, relationship, fellowship. And what would happen to Moses as he beheld God? It would shine. He would radiate. And then Moses would come out, right? He, he would come out to the people, and he'd put a veil over his face. Why? It's too shiny. In unbelief, what happened? It's this practical demonstration of in unbelief, there's a veil that separates between you and God. I love how Paul starts, and we all, with unveiled face. What Paul's saying is, when you believe in Jesus Christ, what brings from one degree of glory to another is the reality that when you look to God because of Jesus Christ, by the power of redemptive spirit, of the Holy Ghost, you see him. And I love, too, how it adds the, and we all. It's the thought, man, you don't have to be Moses. You don't have to be the prophet. You don't have to be Paul. You don't have to be the big-time church leader. You know who God wants that type of relationship with? You. Me. The person who views themselves as a nobody that no one will know, that will never get their name written in the book, because God loves you. An unveiled face is found when you really do know Jesus Christ. Hey, we are called to change. If you want to change, I'm not saying you can't get sober. I'm not saying you can't cut weight. But man, if you want to change in a way that is of eternal value, that will come and like a withered flower, breathe life to your soul, you must know Jesus Christ. I was meeting with a guy some time ago, and we were talking about all these different things that he had going on in his life, all this difficulty, all these problems, all these stresses. And man, I'm telling you, it was major. Had all these problems going on. It's one of the first meetings with him. And after you hear all these problems, you kind of start to ask, well, hey, man, in light of all these problems, let me ask you, what's your relationship with God look like? What do you think about him? What do you feel about him? Do you believe in him? Do you not believe in him? And we start to go through this process now, he, perhaps like some of us, grew up in the church, but walked away from church, was kind of coming back to church, and he started to give these great, like, church answers, right, where people, like, say the right thing, but then there's, like, this, this spidey sense, and only God ever knows, but it's like, hey, man, like, do you really believe that? Like, I know you know that's the right thing to say, but do you really believe that? Because here's the deal. God wants to come and change this dysfunction, this dysfunction, this dysfunction, this dysfunction. He wants to redeem all of that. But where does that start? In a relationship with him where you honestly acknowledge, I believe you came, you paid the penalty for me. 
Because what does that produce? The second part that comes from the relationship. That's the amazing thing. Moses, when it says he saw God face to face, it uses this language of intimacy, fellowship, friendship. Do you know that God, when you think of him, when, when you behold him, when you draw near to him, he wants you to feel close. He wants you to know, I love you and I like you. I've not only bought you with my son, I treasure you. I not only initiated all of this, you are my inheritance. You are called to change. I am called to change. Change comes through knowing Christ. Let's keep going in verse 18. I'm gonna start from the top though. And we all with unveiled face, those who know Christ, what comes next? Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's where I wanna focus now. So as we see again that we are called to change, the, the second theme of this one passage, the second idea is we start this you can change, is that change comes from what? Beholding Christ. It says beholding the glory of the Lord. It's where as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we change. One of the things that's true for so many folks, especially honestly, modern psychology will come, and how do you want to bring about change in your life? How do you want to bring about greater self-worth, self-value? It's reaching internal to identify in you worth. I am wonderful. I am beautiful. Here's where eternal change is going to come from, right? And this process matters so much. Every ounce of my dysfunction is not from when I behold God, it's from when I behold John. Transformation comes from when I take my eyes off of myself and I look at God. What do I mean by beholding? We'll talk about it practically in a minute. I mean that if you want to become godly, if you want to change, if you want eternal worth where the soul feels its worth, if you want to become godly, you get to know God. We'll talk about how you do that, but if you want to become godly, you behold. You get to know God. And what happens, man, is you behold him. As I take my eyes off of me, my problems, my issues, my sins, my dysfunction, and I realize you are kind, you are good, you are sovereign, you are king, you have made me, you have sent me. I am not my own, I am yours. You bought me, I'm a steward of the mysteries of grace. Guess what happens as I look at him? I realize I have a different identity. It changes how I view me. You can change. You're called to change. And you do it by holding God. And I love this. Because you behold the glory of the Lord. What happens? You're being transformed into the same image. This word transform, maybe you know this. Right? In the Greek, it's literally where we get the word for metamorphosis. Right? Remember elementary school, caterpillar, right? Cocoon, metamorphosis, butterfly, right? Total change. And what are we changing into? One of the greatest gifts God will ever give you is when you and I become more like him and less like us. Like the biggest blessing he could ever give you is when I become less like me, when you become less like you and more like him to where if I really was more patient, 
more kind, more tender. Why? He's patient. He's kind. He's tender. You know what that'll lead to? Happiness. You know what that'll lead to? Holidays. Where at the end of the holiday and you either return home or your family leaves, you don't look at the spouse or look at the empty apartment after your friends left and do this. We got through it. You know what wants to change? That. Transformed. And then how does he do it? I love this. From one degree of glory to another. Here's what's true. God can miraculously transform things like that. Right? There's areas of my life where he transformed it like that. But I imagine if you're here and you believe in Jesus, sometimes that transformation doesn't come anywhere near as fast as you wish. Right? I imagine part of that is maybe you're not pursuing it in the way that you, he intends. But this is a process. This is a progressive sanctification from one degree of glory to another. And here's the whole thing. Every degree of my life that I become more like him and less like me is a degree where I say, thank you. It's a degree where my wife says, thank you. It's a degree where the springs will say, thank you. My community group will say, thank you. My daughter will say, thank you. My parents, when they get around me, thank you. And then what does God do? Glory to me, John, for the good of you. Church, you can change. You're called to change. No more humbug. Or if you're, you're here and perhaps you think like, you know, I'm doing pretty well, right? I'm doing pretty well. I've got it together. My kids are walking, all that kind of stuff, right? I'm doing pretty well. Here's what I hope is true, and I'm going to believe the best, right? Because there's been degrees of holiness in your life, you're finding the blessing of holiness. That happens. God honors faithfulness. He blesses it. He will not bless sin That's why for years I was in dysfunction. That's why for some of you, you're a follower of Jesus, but your lifestyle is enshrouded in sin and there's no blessing or favor or happiness to it. Why? He loves you too much to bless what kills you. But then there's some of us where we come and we think about change and and our first step is honestly towards, I'm doing pretty good. You know, maybe that's, they need that. Hey, spouse, can you wake up? Hey, teenage kid, I need you to hear this. Man, I wish my colleagues could get this one. Oh, my community group, man, she needs this. He needs this. Here's what that likely means. You're wickedly self-righteous, right? Because here's what's true. The closer you get to God in maturity, the more you realize you're not there yet. That's why the most faithful examples throughout your Bible, the more they grew in holiness, the more desperate they were for holiness. That's why people who come, and if that's your attitude, here's the thing. Welcome to the club. It's the reverse of the person who just views themselves as a constant failure the whole time. Both are false forms of pride. Both are unbiblical. God wants to change both. What's the path forward? Behold. Because as I behold, y'all, telling you, I get to see, man, Omquist, when you walk through HEB, you've been walking with Christ how long? You're standing there in the checkout line. All of a sudden, you look over and you see the female. You're with your family, but you see that female and your eyes want to linger, and you got to look at the ground, man. I want 
to change for my good, for the glory of God, because he saved me, because he loves me. We are called to that. Let's look at the final section of this verse. Final section. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start from the top. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is my favorite part of this whole verse. For this comes from who? The Lord, who is the Spirit. Whether you know it or not, this is one of the most comforting things, the reality that you and I are called to change, that at the end of 2020, if you're a follower of Jesus, God sincerely, seriously, commandingly wants you to be more holy, wants me more holy. As he gives this call, he empowers it. He enables it because he says it'll come from me. I've sent you a helper. I've sent you my spirit. So as we realize we are called to change, the third thing that we must see is that change comes from depending on Christ. Change comes from depending on Christ. See, I love this. It's the reality of when I want to become more heavenly, it's the promise that heaven has sent me a helper, a helper God, the Holy Spirit. See, it's this truth that when I think about like my, my temper, right, or, or when I think about my desire to be right or uh, lust or, man, my just lack of spiritual discipline, like the reality that when I wake to go and spend time over the holidays, when I get out of a regular routine, it's way too hard in my soul to want to open that Bible, connect, and meet with God. It's way too hard to find a way to carve out. No, I'll carve out this time to go shopping. I'll carve out this time to fix something around my house. But will I carve out a time for me to meet with God? It's way too easy to not want to change. But where does it come from? This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Beautiful verses. You don't have to turn here. I'll read them to you. It's John 14, 15 through 17. This is Jesus Christ. He's preparing for the cross. He's coming to his disciples. He's going to say, hey, guys, I'm going to promise you guidance. I'm going to promise you help. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Remember that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then he goes on. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, now we're talking about the helper, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. This is why it matters. If you want eternal change, you must know Jesus Christ. Must, soul-penetrating, life-changing, uh, uh, life-saturating, you have to know him, not know about him. Be saved by him, whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. And then it says this, church. And it says this. But you know him, or he dwells with you and will be in you. Like you and I can change as we depend on Christ. Why? Because what Christ promised, you see this in the book of Acts, is the indwelling power of God, the Holy Spirit. 
the reason I can change and why I, 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 it's completely unbiblical to be like, I'll never change or hey, I'm just gonna embrace reality because every time I do, I just get down or this won't ever change or I'll never be sober or I'll never stop drinking or I, I, I'll never have freedom from this form of anxiety in my life or control or I will never have the ability to have the marriage that I've always wanted. I will never have the ability to endure the marriage of my nightmares. I will never have the ability to not view my singleness as like this JV level of faithfulness. And marriage is where I wanna be. I will never have the ability to date in a way that honors God and inspires others to faithfulness. I'll never have the ability to forgive them. I'll never have the ability to trust a church again, to get in a group. I'll never have the ability to reconcile with that person, with that spouse, with that parent. You couldn't. It's totally true. I can't. You can't. I can't. Fact. But because the Spirit of God is in you, you can. Because the Spirit of God is in me, I can. We are called to change. He gives us the plan for change. You gotta know him. It's this process. And then he says, I'm gonna send you a helper. I'll never leave you to yourself. I'm a good father. I love you. I'm here to shepherd. I'm here to care. I'm gonna help you. Guys, we're in a series creatively with our marketing team and our extensive budget through focus groups and research, we came to the title, You Can Change. I know it's confusing. I know it's a little tricky, right? It's got multiple layers to it, right? I get all that, but here's what it means. The Spirit of God in you, you can change. First thing we're talking about to introduce this series is the reality. Because the Spirit of God is in you, you are called to change, right? That's for believers. If you're a non-believer, here's unapologetically what I'm telling you. Believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent. He has come for you, and one day he will come again. He's crazy about you. He'll take you just as you are, your dysfunction, your sin, your problems, your self-righteousness. He'll take you just as you are. Believe if you don't know what that looks like, come, talk down at front, turn to someone, say, do you believe in Jesus? And then say, how do I believe in Jesus? They'll walk you through it. If it's confusing, you come find me. Become a follower of Christ. You got to know him. And then those of you who know him, stop settling for this unintimate, un, uh, uh, a lacking of warmth connection, this cold distance and saying, it just always will be. He literally died so that it wouldn't be. And then what happens? You change, not when you look to you and change internally and try harder. You change when you behold him. Guys, we're, we're gonna spend a couple weeks on talking about like how discipline plays a role in this. We're gonna flesh this out more. You will not grow to be godly unless you get to know God. Plain and simple. You will not grow to be godly unless you get to know God. Even that, there's more to it, right? Two greatest ways to get to know God. You connect with him through his word. Let's say you find it boring or you don't get anything out of it. 
then, then start pleading with him. Start your Bible time with this. Probably the most frequent prayer I pray. I don't want to be here reading this. God, I'm going to give this time to you as an offering. Please change me. How long should you read for? If it's your first time, I'd start at 15 minutes. I wouldn't overdo it. I have a friend, though, and I really like his mentality. He reads till he feels like he gets something out of it. How do you know that you get something out of it? I don't know. You kind of feel like you get something out of it, right? For him, that could be five minutes. That could be 50 minutes. You will not become godly unless you get to know God. If you want to learn how to connect with God through his word, come talk to us. We will disciple you in this. We love this. Two, you have to talk to him. Prayer. You have to talk to him. But when I pray, man, my mind wanders. I forget. Okay, I journal. It helps me, right? I set a timer, right? So, you know, like when I pray, I will set a timer. Why? Because half the time my mind is wandering. Did I pray long enough? Should I pray longer? I feel like holy people would pray longer than this. So before I start praying, at the foundation of the world, I trust that it has been predetermined, typically, I'm going to just do this for five minutes, and the alarm's going to go off. And when that alarm goes off, I don't view myself as more holy if I keep going. I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I get up and I go, you will not become more godly unless you get to know God. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. And then finally, guys, you have to see, you got to depend on Christ. You can't change, but Christ in you, the Spirit of God can. I love New Year, New You. I love New Year's resolutions. I try them, right? I totally quit on them sooner than I should. I've totally uh, brought real change through some and no change through others. It's completely true, all of that in my life. But one of the things I have been really reflecting on is how I want to change. Not just for me, man, but because I want more happiness. I want more joy. And I know that when I become like Jesus, I'm more like Jesus. And he was marked by joy and peace and contentment and happiness. Like he was fun to be around. He was gracious and patient. He knew how to balance tenderness and I'm going to tell you the truth. He knew how to be courageous and how to be the most approachable person on the planet. I need more of that. Before we started our Advent series, and I'll, and I'll end with this, before we started our Advent series at the end of last year, right, we were working through the book of Philippians. That's typically what we do. This, I'm excited, honestly. It's going to be our first topical series since I've been here, right? Where, where we come and we were working through Philippians, and we came to the end, and there's this famous passage in Philippians that talks about anxiety. It says, don't be anxious about anything, and it points you to Jesus the entire time. Don't be anxious about anything. It points you to Jesus the entire time. And there was this right application in there. There was this right time for me to share how before being a follower of Christ, anxiety like plagued me, worry. Like I remember this season of my life and I, and I told y'all this before if you were here back then. Like it was literally crippling. Like I would get these physical manifestations of pain to where I would fall on the ground. I had no idea what was going on. I had to be taken to a doctor. They did an EKG. The doctor comes. They turn on the lights after this. They sit me down. I say, son, here's what it is. Eat healthier, but stress is killing you. I couldn't stop. I could literally remember when I'd start to feel the pain coming on. I had to change what I was thinking about because it was entirely self-induced. I'm not saying that's true for everybody, by the way, but it was definitely true for me. Entirely self-induced. And I'd feel it coming and coming and I'd have to calm down. I couldn't stop that until I became a believer in Jesus. 
It was the first time it's like my whole life had just been tense and taut and tight, and it was lessened. Why? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. What comes with transformation? Freedom. I can remember I shared that. We did the anxiety talk. We go on. I think two weeks later, I was in a staff meeting. There was another member of staff. We're talking about something. It was on a couch right out there. I just shared this. Not even kidding, y'all. I got a heart pain that thank God I was already sitting down. And literally, I'm on this couch, and immediately I go like this, and I have to lean back. And there I am all over again. There I am. I taught on anxiety two weeks before. By God's grace, something did change this time. I knew what to do. Like where before I was just a victim to it, but this time I knew what to do. It was in that moment, I literally shared with the staff member, hey, here's what's going on. We prayed. I asked God for help. I immediately began to think through, okay, what are the triggering thoughts that are making me feel this? I then followed up, confessed it, and I intentionally used the word confess. I confessed it to community around me. I said, here's how I want to walk in repentance. But guys, it totally started this cascading thought in my mind. This cascading thought of, John, man, God has done tremendous things, and he has. But what's true to all of you and what is true to me is there's so much room that he wants to keep going. Like an honest holiness. Like a doing it not because I got to lead others in it, but because he died for me, he loves me, and he saved me. An honest desire to be a man of spiritual discipline who connects with him through his word, who fights the snooze button just because I want to meet with him. The one who my wife, who she does celebrate I, I, the, the joy of being married to me, but honestly, man, that there's a greater demonstration of the glory that I bring her as I cherish her, as I love her, as I nourish her. My daughter, my temperament, when it just comes to the point where I've held it and I've held it and I've held it, and then all of a sudden dad gets big and my daughter runs to her room. Jesus never does that to me. The moments in my community group, where I was a more faithful shepherd, where I could be a better pastor, a better man, a better son, a better brother, a better father, a better lover of Jesus. Because my ultimate problem is your ultimate problem. I don't want to want change enough. You'll track that. I don't want godliness enough. I, I know I should, but I don't. I would be stuck there Apart from, I have come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I didn't do anything special. I just believed. He wants the same thing for you. Two, I fight to behold. I war to behold the things of Jesus. And then three, by his grace, his grace alone, spirit of God is in me. And because of that, I can change. Because of that, you can change. Church, I want us to be a place that changes. I pray to God we're never that place that generally stays the same over time. That people are coming to know Christ, people are growing in Christ, new leaders are rising up, and it's always kind of a mess here as people are working through the faithfulness of discipleship. We must be a people that change for the glory of God. If not, what are we doing? I want to change. We must change.
We celebrate all that he's done. And we ask his help to keep going. If you want to come on this journey, if you don't walk down this path of how to change, come join us for the next couple weeks. As we look at you, me, we can change. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that how you never leave me alone, you never leave us alone. That, Father, that you come invading darkness with light, how in you there's always hope, there's always peace, there's joy. It's in your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures more. Make me believe that. Help all of us, God, enlarge our hearts that we may run in the way of your commandments. Open our eyes to behold the wonders of your law and your word. Make us more faithful. Make us more dependent. Make us more devoted. Make us more in love. I thank you that you love answering that prayer. Father, would you lead people to know you? Folks here that don't know you, would you change eternities today? May they say something. May they talk with someone. May they engage. May they not then try to go and and leave here and allow that to fall on shallow soil or where it's picked away by birds or where roots can come up. May they come, get connected, be discipled, and go back. Raise up an army of your people and make every individual soldier, starting with me, faithful. Need your help. We need your help. Thank you that you are the helper. It's in your name we pray. Well, guys, thank you all for coming. If you want to come learn vision values about the Springs, I'll be doing a newcomer's class in room A on the other side. But if not, I hope you all go find some good food or take a good nap, and you'll have a great week of worship. We'll see you all next Sunday.